Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 49, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, quick turnaround, man. How you doing, brother? Mike, every day is a good day to be alive here on the podcast. Very excited. 21st ranked podcast nationally. For those of you who didn't see the news, <laughs> or iTunes released the top 20 most downloaded podcasts on their list. They released one through 20. And that was a great opportunity for us to announce that we were actually 21st. And that's why we're on the list. Uh, and nobody can prove me otherwise. We got a private email that said that we were 21st. Yeah. Uh, they said, unfortunately, that break in the summer really hurt us. Otherwise, we would have yeah. been number one. So I'd like to share that news. Congratulations. They said, listen, you can just announce it because you guys are very trustworthy. We're not even going to announce it. You just tell your listeners, so many of them, 21st most <laughs> listeners, you just tell them yourselves. Yeah. So there you go. Let them know they don't have to ask anyone about it. It's like, just, just dope. Yeah, it's very safe. <laughs> it's been decided. But anyway. I'm well, man. How you doing? I am doing well. This is the, as I said, this is a quick turnaround. So we have a short week. So we had to burn through this film. Luckily, it was up on Game Pass fairly quick. And we were both able to get through the game before talking. So Ben, you want to just jump right in and just uh, start breaking down this film? There's some quick news that was released on At The Podium, episode 13, the press conferences with Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson is hopeful that Jason Peters, who exited the game early against the Redskins with an apparent lower body or ankle injury, he's hopeful that he will play his full role on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. Also, Timmy Jernigan dealing with some back spasms, and Doug is hopeful that he's going to Mm -hmm play his regular role as well. So we'll see how that pans out. Also, Avante Maddox uh, has been moved to day-to-day. You know how Doug speak is. Week-to-week means you're a bit out. Day-to-day means he could play. We're not sure. So we'll see what his participation is like in practice. Yeah, Doug was like, we are hopeful Jason Peters will play. And I was like, you know what, Doug? Me too, baby. Like, I have similar <laughs> feelings towards Jason Peters and Hollywood Avante Maddox. I'm also hopeful. Peters had kind of a rough game. Pernell McPhee got the better of him a bit generally uh, as a general rule peters over vitae is a is a preferable situation well for sure so ben film review time we're gonna jump right into it gotta look back at this eagles redskins game real proper like let me tell you ben you don't have to search for this one it's 15 minutes into the first quarter we're 15 minutes left in the first quarter it's the first play carson wentz to zach Ertz. my goodness yeah 
No, I okay. I tweeted about this the second that throw hit. I was like, "All right, Carson's officially throwing for 500 yards." That opening throw was like what during the game? That was insane. It was a faith throw if I've ever seen one. So you've got trips right, arts detached on the left. The Eagles are either going to like mesh sit your face in, or they're going to at least threaten you in like a triangle. So Goddard is the three from the slot. So he's the most inside receiver on trips on the right side of the formation. He runs a little return. It starts off like a shallow cross. Uh, you get that look like it's going to be mesh, and then he kicks it back outside. Adams releases vertical to the left side where Ertz is, then goes out to the flat. And Ertz is coming behind to complete this triangle here. Both linebackers, Zach Brown and Mason Foster, are in hook zones, which is where Ertz needs to get behind and in the middle of. Wentz throws this thing just as Ertz is getting out of his break. He is still outside of Zach Brown by two yeah. full yards. And Wentz fits that sucker in between. It's a tight window throw. It's a fake throw. That's the connection you get between these two guys. Whoever it is in the locker room that's complaining about the team funneling targets to Ertz, I don't know who it is, but Jordan Matthews needs to stop because that (laughs) is a thing of beauty right there. So that was one heck of a way to start digging into this film, my dude. And his placement, this drive, this entire drive, this first drive was on point because right after that, and we talked about the two, the two rub routes on the recap show, the touchdown to Matthews and the two-point conversion to Tate. But their second pass is a rub with Ertz getting vertical, Jeffrey coming in from behind. Wentz fits it into Jeffrey, who fights for a first down. But again, tight window throw. Wentz is yep. able to fit that sucker in there. Uh, and of course, the range drop to Golden Tate on the scramble drill where Wentz is directing him along the sideline, like, go deep, buddy. And uh, the slant to Ertz also after that is money. And then the final throw, all of these were beauties. The scramble drill for Tate in the back right of the corner of the end zone. I'd argue it was one of Wentz's best drives of the season. And look, I wrote this up for BleedingGreenNation.com. Wentz on the move this drive. We're not talking about like a like a walk or, or a rollout, then he stops and throws. We're talking like at a jog or faster. He was... On this drive, two for two, 44 yards and a touchdown for the day, four for four, 77 yards and a touchdown. But keeping it confined to this drive, he was really able to string things together early with some anticipatory throws, tight window throws, bucket throws, improvisation. It's everything you love about his game all rolled into one. He really brought home the bagels on this drive. Listen, Carson started the game five for five on that opening drive, man. Didn't miss a pass. He was five for six in the first quarter, uh, cause incompletion of Dallas Goddard on that little that that deep sideline route where Goddard was kind of getting tackled when the ball arrived, and then also uh, Carson was getting hit at the throw. But Carson was five for five, perfect on the opening drive, man. It was very very interesting because I don't know if you heard Peterson can't script plays, and so <laughs> to have a perfect opening drive. See, this is why like I make I make light of it. Obviously, the, the Eagles have been struggling to score in their first drives. Those were the first points they had scored on their opening drive in the past five or six weeks. There's a lot that goes into that. And for this, Philadelphia had one third down on that entire opening drive. Otherwise, it was just moving the ball easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? It was no hesitation. It was very, uh, they looked much more so like a, a, a team that had been producing constantly and came out confident, came out firing on all cylinders. And obviously, Wentz made a couple of great scramble plays. Man, you, you said it with, uh, you mentioned several good throws. I was regularly struck during this game by how we very often forget that Wentz has an impossibly strong arm. Man, yeah. Wentz can rip it. Dude yeah. has a cannon. And he has a cannon from not, you know, he very rarely, which like 
people complained about his footwork in 2016. He's very rarely like creating the load bearing triangle and entering like torsion <laughs> in the core. Like a lot of stuff that you're supposed to do, especially with like younger quarterbacks, to, like teach them how to generate power from the ground up. Wentz is a, Wentz will very often just be upright stepping into that puppy and it's a, he's getting good torsion, but it's a whole lot of arm. Yeah. And sometimes that gets him into trouble. His arm strength is bananas, right? It's really, really something. And it, and it's what lets him not get away with, but rather the, the scope of throws that he can make, the range of throws that he can attempt is greater than a lot of good quarterbacks, not just like your average quarterback, than a lot of good quarterbacks because he can just jam that puppy in there. And again, yeah. it, ca- it causes problems. Uh, the Josh Norman interception is a great example of one. But yeah. then like the first Alshon Jeffrey third down conversion where the Redskins <laughs> were like, listen, we're going to drop Ryan Kerrigan to wall off this exact route. Yeah. And Carson was like, what if instead I just jam the ball in there anyway, right? <laughs> and it's a fantastic throw, and, and Jeffrey's got incredible hands, and he makes the catch. And you're just simply, like, you, you just watch that, and you go, that's just not a regular person throw. It's yeah. just not, right? And that's the stuff that's easy to overlook. So Carson, I thought his arm strength really struck me. Overall, it definitely was not his strongest game. He didn't right. make many plays you know the golden tate touchdown the golden tate little bubble screen improv play were two like really high quality plays other than that he wasn't making like some super like incredible plays incredible throws i thought the throw to Aguilar. i think that's the other one i think that was the other wild throw where i was like okay that's pretty dope that, was a, that was a solid one i took a bit of umbrage with it because and and this is like a a very like this feels like a uh, like a first world problem sort of a thing I just talked about how strong Carson's arm was. This is like a 40-yard yeah. throw in the move. He did pull Aguilar a bit down, like downfield a little bit, where if he would able to get that thing over the top, Aguilar can catch that turn up field and run. Uh, so Aguilar did have to come back back for it a little bit, but like also, again, it was a 40-yard throw down the field, so really like I can shut up and suck it. Uh, you know, that's like, that's unnecessarily getting uh, stingy and picky. So yeah, no, Carson just generally had like a good game. Like it was just Carson Wentz, who was a good quarterback, playing a good game, and the Eagles one and we're good on offense because of it simple as that so i've done a lot of picking on the washington redskins defense especially their linebackers but there was one play and i want to dial back to this because we talked about this on the recap show and i talked mm-hmm. about not liking the third and fourth call that you know the play the one to darren sproles right i liked it so i like this for the redskins too it's a call that i criticized third and four on the second drive first quarter um 434 left on the board for those following at home the eagles have numbers mm-hmm. it's six on six plus a potential exactly. for a went keeper so they pull peters who has to kick out linebacker zach brown brown does an excellent job coming down on this he flashes outside when he loads up to take on the block but then he explodes inside and it messes with darren sproles's read because he sees that flash of the helmet outside and he thinks he can take it inside so this is one one of those plays ben and we talk about all the time or sometimes the other guy just makes the better play yeah and in this case the better play was made by mason foster not zach brown that was the mason foster no it wasn't that's 54 baby you're lying that's dread that's that's dreadlocked beer belly 54 right there it is mason foster every everything you said was was absolutely right so philadelphia is just running the power play here backside guard is working up to the back or the play side guard is working up to the backside linebacker peters is wrapping over as the tackle into the gap mason foster you're right Peaks color outside, shoots back inside. If Sproles is a tad more patient here, which Sproles yeah. usually is, he gets then up the this, back is, this is this is a clear first down because he can see where Foster's going. Foster kind of just guesses on this one, uh, and a lot of that's going to have to do with the fact that Sproles has not played in a while. Obviously, he's a veteran, but still, he's 
you know, just like we talked about with Carson, he's probably pushing a little bit. So yeah, his path is a little bit as a, um, as he approaches this, like he's nipping at Peters' heels. Yeah. And so the timing kind of on this play, you'd like for Sproles to be a little bit further behind Peters so he can see things develop. It's just not super great. And it, it, it's a miss, you know, by Sproles. But generally, that, that play should have gone for a first down. When you look at the alignment of the Redskins pre-snap, Mike, they've been in middle of the field closed for yeah. every single snap before this play. Okay? Every single snap. Middle field closed. Middle field closed. Cover one. Cover three. Cover one. Cover three. And then... On this third down, which is the longest third down Philadelphia's faced so far is third and four, they come out in the middle of the field open. And middle of the field open, two safeties back, that takes a player out of the box. And so Philadelphia says, okay, if you're going to do that, we are going to run. We're trying to yeah. force you in the middle of the field, close coverage all the time. This play could have easily hit for six yards a bit of first down. Bit of a mistake by Sproles. But with what the Redskins were doing at the at the snap, you see very late they're going to bring Swearinger down, and then they're going to pull him back up, right? He's not actually in the box. What, they're, what, they're, what the Redskins are giving them, this was, in my opinion, the correct play call. Obviously annoying, but it was still the correct play call. And apologies to Mason Foster. He made one play this game. That was it, and I still missed it. Can't believe it. Yeah, Mason Foster's one good play of December, man. He filled his quote up early, and now it's going to be three straight games. Of the- I'm going to put this on the timeline. I'm going to get all the Mason Foster truthers back in my mentions, and then I'm going to release like five or six more plays and just smash them. Okay, Ben, let's see. What else, what else do we have here? I know, it, it, oh, the, the sniffer look that they're starting to run because they're running. And we talked about this before the show and we can kind of expand on this from here, but they're running a lot more under center stuff because Josh Adams is an under center back, just like we had with like Garrett Blunt last year was an under center back. And then Ajayi was our shotgun back. They were better in those roles. I just want to, I want to say when we say an under center back, like what exactly does that mean? Well, the, the plays that you're getting from Josh Adams, what with Josh Adams back there. And this is very important are really plays where he doesn't have to like read a lot. Which is why the most befuddling call of the season was that goal line duo call. It makes yeah. no sense to me. They had Jordan Matthews and Nelson Aguilar, or not, they had Jordan Matthews and Zach Ertz doubling like a defensive end. Just, I could not understand it. Josh Adams <laughs> running duo, just, it, it was completely outside of what you would expect. But anyway, what you're seeing, number one, is a lot of inside zone week. Uh, and, and, and what you're seeing is a lot of also just like tackle lead ideas and sometimes these trap ideas and tackle lead and trap are going to be just one, one, one hole, just go straight up field. And then inside zone week, which you saw a lot of, in my opinion, more so than, than I, I can remember seeing what's going to happen there is you're going to have that, that tight end that's on the line of scrimmage. And then you're going to have that sniffer. And we talk about that sniffer, uh, imagine like a jet sweep motion from a, a wide receiver, but he stops and, and he stops and he settles in between the tight end and the tackle, obviously behind yeah. the line of scrimmage, but in between. So we call him a sniffer because this is kind of like an H-back alignment. Usually you see it with tight ends. Uh, we call him a sniffer because he's just kind of sniffing around the line. And very often he's going to go over there and he's going to run split zone across the formation at the snap, right? Or maybe he's going to like fold inside and be a lead blocker, especially when he's a tight end. And what they're doing here with Philadelphia is they'll, they'll have the tight end kick out the defensive end. They'll be able to take Jason Peters and have him either double team into the three tech or Lane Johnson, take the tackle, he'll double team the three tech or he'll work up to the backer. And then when the safety who's been tracking that motion from that sniffer comes into the hole, Nelson Aguilar, typically the sniffer, sometimes Jordan Matthews, just kind of walls him off. Very similar to how you do on a trap play, just kind of takes him and gets next to him and, and, and makes it tough for that guy to just move, right? And then you run right off that guy's back. You run right off his butt. And so this inside zone week, you're going to get those those two, that tight end, that sniffer both to one side. And then you're going to regular pivot, give the inside zone handoff. But really, you're not working from 
playside B gap back. You're working for more like playside A gap and even backside A gap back. Right. Where you're just getting a big wash down, right? Everybody's taking that zone step, finding somebody, and there's just a big wash. And your backside tackle and backside guard are gaining a lot of vertical depth. They're getting upfield. And then you just come in behind that and you just band up field. And honestly, Adams doesn't run it super well. I think he's a little bit late to it sometimes, but yeah. it's really nice for him because it gives him a ton of space to look at. It makes it very clear. Typically, when you're when you've got that heavy formation over there, you're dealing with just a corner or a safety coming up in the run support. And it's like, all right, make this guy miss. And again, Adams doesn't do that very often, but it gives him a lot of space to operate. And that's what you're commonly seeing. Corey Clement got it as well. Uh, but yeah, those under center runs with those sniffer looks are really cool, especially because of the wrinkles that they brought in later in the game off of those ideas. Which was second quarter, second and seven with 6.31 to go. They run a little play action off that. So they're hammering the run with that sniffer look. They go play action with heavy flow to the left. They boot it back to the right. Both Aguilar and Ertz on the right side there are on delayed releases. And it is easy money for Ertz in the flat working against Ryan Anderson, which is a plus, plus, plus matchup in coverage. Mm -hmm. Really like that wrinkle. You can tell that they're starting to implement new ideas. And a lot of them are hitting. And they're also adjusting the offense to the strengths of the players that they're going to have on the field with Adams being in there with a more increased role. But you're also seeing the fact that they realize that defenses were starting to maybe maybe their offense was getting stale and predictable a little bit. I mean, you saw like a wham concept get stuffed by Landon Collins last week because it was the same look that we've given on that every week now. But now we're starting to throw in some more looks and starting to freshen things up. And those things are hitting. So that is really, really good to see. And Ben, along with that, the offensive line has to be awesome. And they were in this game, not only in the run game, but Ben, good news. Pro Football Focus has their pass blocking efficiency metric for whole units. And the Eagles line ranked first for week 13. Lane Johnson, zero pressures. Brandon Brooks, zero pressures. Jason Kelsey, zero pressures. Jason Peters had an up and down game, I thought, but only allowed one pressure according to PFF. Siamalo predictably struggled with power inside from Jonathan Allen, particularly surrendering three pressures total. We kind of expected that functional strength is just not his strength yeah what did you think of the line play i mean we talked about kelsey we glowed about kelsey in the run game in the screen game lane johnson had a pancake there on mason foster so everything was looking real good for them for the most part absolutely no line play was stellar as we said the big like i said jason peters had a bit of a struggling game everybody else looked very solid isaac sayamalu is not a problem he's not (laughs) great right and but but the thing is like even like a few weeks into his tenure, you know, starting, I would still have called him like a problem, like a target. He is not a problem. Sam Malu is really, he's generally, he's, he's allowing a few pressures a game and you'd like for him to be better than that, but he's really not like uh, uh, in the scope of the league and the offensive lines that are being touted out by some of these teams, really, he's quite fine. And it's very exciting to see because Sam has been struggling. I think the biggest improvement that I have seen from Sam is like, let's say 2017 tape when he was kind of in that left guard rotation and the chance Warmack would get in there and whatever to now is that Sam hands are clearly better. And his hands need to be very strong, especially in pass protection, because he's just not a strong dude. And that's fine. Jason Kelsey's not a strong dude. That's not true. Kelsey's strong. Kelsey's not big. And Sam is not big and he's also not terribly strong. So you need to have really good hand placement, be able to rework your hands and refine leverage points and recover with your hands so as to stay alive against power. You know, uh, Jonathan Allen gave him some trouble. 
And then also uh, 95, Deron Payne, the rookie. Both these guys, like we talked about, they rushed with power. And they, yeah, they gave some problems to Samuel with power. I don't think that's something that's going to go away. But you saw him constantly be willing to redrop anchor and to rework his hands to reestablish a depth point. Now, that is a bit of an issue just with how Carson likes to play because Carson, yeah. when they're, when the pocket starts to collapse, Carson does like to hang in there a little bit. And yep. you'd like to see him be more willing to move his feet and to reset and to escape. And that's not something Carson's been doing as much recently. Uh, so that's kind of a frustrating thing, which is why those rollouts are very, very effective. And we love to see Carson take those rollouts. It's a wonderful thing. There's this idea, Ben, that Carson is this mobile quarterback all the time. And we covered this when we covered Cam Newton leading up to the Panthers game. Cam Newton is a pocket passer. His launch points, if you were to mark an X every time he dropped back on a, on a piece of graph paper, they would all be clustered right. together. Carson Wentz, even last year, very much the same for him. So like you said, that power, that inside pressure is going to give him problems. Well, so right. One of the main reasons why like we've been calling for a lot more rollouts is something that like I've been calling for a lot more. And then also like during the game, like it was something we were all kind of laughing about when we were watching the game on Twitter because I was like, hey, more rollouts in the next drive. There were more rollouts and they scored. You know, I'm not going to, you can take from that what you want. Um, (laughs) Thanks for the follow, Mike Rowe. The the reason we've been, we wanted more rollouts is not because there have been less rollouts, but really it goes back to the fact that the Eagles are running the ball from under center a lot more than they did in 2017. 2017 was just like the RPO year. Let's do it. You know, it was just like, we're going to run out of shotgun. Uh, We're going to spread them and shred them. Where are these RPOs, package plays, we're going to run out of shotgun, Ajayi, that's what it is. Now, with with Adams and Clement kind of being the primary backs here, well, you've seen a lot more runs from under center. And and under center, you can't really execute RPOs because in order to run an RPO, you have to be looking at the field, looking at the routes, while you're potentially handing the football off. And under center, you have to have hard play action where you really turn your back to the field and you flash the ball and then you pull at the last second. So... There wasn't so much as space in 2017 for rollouts. Now that the under center run game has been incorporated more, well, now there is the space for rollouts. So let's start to get a moving a little bit. And and you saw them do that, and that's good. Uh, obviously, you 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 are afraid just from a umbrella perspective, from a 30,000 feet perspective, of putting your franchise quarterback who has a knee injury on the move and out in space without any blockers in front of him. But they do a good job with these like split zone ideas of like you know giving him uh, at least a blocker in front and. You know, Carson does have to kind of learn how to start throwing the ball away. As we've discussed, it's something he never does. But let's go back to that play action play out of that sniffer look that we talked about, right? Yeah. Zach Ertz is uh, going to be to the roll side at the at the snap. And so he gives that one second block and then he just releases into the flat right away. A- Aguilar is that sniffer. He presents in the hole like he's going to block, which makes that safety, DJ Swearinger, the guy who's covering him, come down as if he's in run support because Aguilar is making out like he's blocking in that hole. So Swearinger's got to come meet him. And then Aguilar just slides by him and releases. And then he's quick out into the flat as well. So now you got a two by one, right? You got two guys against one defenders. It's a very quick and easy read. There was pressure immediately in Carson Wentz's face. The defensive end, Zach Ertz, the guy he released, was unblocked. It's Carson's man to be responsible for. But you give Carson quick dump offs, he gets to chuck the ball to Zach Ertz. It's a 17-yard pickup also at the two, right? So you can build these rollouts to better protect your quarterback. It's very possible, and they did it with a lot of success. Uh, and I can follow up on that with some quick analytics that I just looked up while you were talking. For the season leading up to this game, Carson Wentz, 30% of his dropbacks were play action. It's a healthy dose. In this game, 49%. Oh, go figure. He was only under pressure for 25.6% of his snaps. His best total 
of the season. So yeah, I would definitely say that play action can help you in a lot of different ways. Yeah, well, wow, who knew? You know, like <laughs> the, these these are the things, man. This is the modern offense. Let's do it. Um, speaking of, do you want to transition defense here? Because I think play action is a nice transition. Yes, let's do it. Let's make All an right. apology, both of us, to Nate Gary. No, no, not, <laughs> not yet, not yet. Not we have yet. to do that. But first, <laughs> I have a take. Ooh, Ben has a take, fellas. Right, and I this time I, I slammed a different surface than the one my computer was on, because last time I did that, the computer froze. <laughs> I now think I kind of understand why Jim Schwartz is constantly playing like a deep sticks defense and asking his team to come up and tackle. And it was born of the heavy play action that the Redskins were using. So, you saw multiple times against the Redskins, Philadelphia linebackers would step up reading the run, and then play action would hit, and these guys would turn and bail like I have never seen <laughs> ever before, right? They were flying back. And honestly, they've been doing that uh, a lot of the year. I just haven't really been noticing it and paying as much attention to it, but I really started to notice it in this game. And I, I went back and I watched a couple other refs. I was like, yeah, they really fly back there. And I was trying to figure out why. And then I thought to myself, well, obviously, play action, that intermediate middle area of the field is where it's going to be weak. You draw the linebackers up and the safety's still back. The best way to handle that area of the field would ideally be having a safety who's able to come up and close as he sees play action develop across the intermediate middle of the field. The Eagles have that safety. His name is Rodney McLeod. I don't know if you've heard, he doesn't right. play anymore. Yeah, and I was, was having a great season, yeah. And so instead, the guy who's back there is now Corey Graham. And, 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 and... Even with a Vontae Maddox back there, Maddox is markedly quicker than Graham. And so even then, you could ask Maddox to close down that intermediate area of the field more. Let's remember, when we lost to the Titans, it was very much so because when we were in cover three, they were destroying us over the middle of the field, right? Yeah, that intermediate middle of the field area, it was, it was one of Maddox's first games at deep safety. Uh, they were eviscerating us in that area. And so we went to a lot of inverted cover too, and that's when they started beating us deep, and the Titans beat us, and that's how that went. So even with Maddox back there, I think as Maddox has gotten better at the position, he's been able to come up and close to that area. But with Graham back there, these linebackers, Mike, were flying back to that area. Because really, and we've talked about this before, with the the issues of personnel with how how thin the eagles are at secondary you kind of have to pick your poison like pick the lesser of two evils just because you're so weak yeah. and here it was okay either we fly back as linebackers and we just gain crazy depth make sanchez and mccoy throw these little check downs to backs these little shallow crossers and then rally up and tackle and try to get a seven yard stop or we stay flat after play action we gain depth at a regular pace and we risk 15 yard completions over the middle and mike really if you, like, you go back over that Redskins tape, they did not get any intermediate middle completions. They got one or two. Not yeah. no significant ones, right? And it was simply because the Eagles were bailing to that area and saying, listen, we're going to rally up and tackle. And I think it's just simply because they do not trust Corey Graham as the middle of the field safety to do anything but kind of be there, right? Like that's pretty much they're playing 11 on 10. Third and sevens, these third and eights where the Eagles are, are their, their defensive backs are 10 yards behind the line and they've got to try to run up and make a tackle. Obviously, they suck to watch, but like the alternative is dig routes that are already past the sticks and i don't really know if they have guys who can cover those with maddox out and with mcleod out so on and so forth so i think the um 
rally up and tackle defense, gained a little bit of defensibility, you know, in my eyes as far as like a, a, a deployment that they actually have to use. And I actually like what they've done with the picket fence. And I've noted it on Twitter and I, I put it on an article for bleedinggreennation.com where they've changed it up. And, you know, they'll, they'll have a guy closer in that situation on third and 15. Like they'll go with three rushers and they'll have Camus who can take like the real quick, you know, immediate stuff away, which is what was hurting them from that alignment. But Ben, I got to know your thoughts on this one. Second quarter at the end here, third and five at the Philadelphia 29. There's 28 seconds left. Um I know what was running through my head during this play where the ball hangs up there for as long as it takes Corey Graham to run a 40. But what (laughs) was your thought when the sucker is up there and you see Corey Graham like a center fielder retreating back to track it in the air? Did you for even one millisecond ever believe that Graham was going to come down with an interception because you have plenty of time to think about it while that sucker's in the air? So here's the first thing. The first thing is just watch him from the snap, okay? And Corey, I'm sorry if you're listening to the podcast, but this is hysterical. Okay, so first he like tracks the jet motion and then he makes a sky call, right? Which I think it means that they're very clearly going into cover three. I'm pretty sure it's a sky call now that I'm looking at it. Let me get it from the other angle. Oh, I see it. Yeah, okay. I mean, he's tapping he's tapping the top of his head. I'm pretty they they end up running basic cover three skies, so I'm pretty sure that's what you're looking at. And yeah. then Graham has to like read play action, read the jet motion, and also like Sanchez's launch point is moving because he's under pressure. And so Graham just looks like he's glitching in the middle of the field, which to me is hysterical. Like just watch him. He's like, I don't know where to go, and he's just kind of freaking out. Then, yeah, this ball goes up there, and no, under no circumstance, I think Graham was going to get this. But also, it's tough for him to do it because he's the one who's backing up, and the Redskins receiver is coming downhill into it. So when they contact at the catch point, the Redskins receiver is able to leap into it, whereas Graham was kind of backpedaling into it. So I'm not going to fault him for it too much. It's just really funny to watch him try to handle all of the processing he's got to do on this play. And another hilarious rep, Ben. We, I mean, there's there's a couple on here. Obviously, we're going to break down some of the performances before we get to our apologies and uh, breaking down this defensive back play. But uh, this second half for me from the Redskins was just insulting from an offensive perspective. A lot of that happens because Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Michael Bennett, and Chris Long made everything a mess up front. Over a forty percent pressure rate in this game, they were getting after it like we needed. <laughs> is them uh, to is um is is that good? It is good, Ben. Over forty percent. Is 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 that good? It's pretty tasty. It's it's their first one in a few weeks since the bye, actually, that they've hit over 40%. They had five straight games where they did it earlier in the season. So this Flip is a Flip a coin. Lands heads. There was pressure on this play. Like, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, beyond giving them kudos for really ratcheting things up, there's a play that sums up this uh, Redskins offense for me. Everybody, I want you to turn your books to the third quarter. Oh, I like the turn your books things. Let's keep doing that. This reverse play. Oh, it ben- was this it was the play. It was the reverse play. Okay. But this is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. I spent a long time breaking it down. And here's what I think was supposed to happen. Okay? I'm ready. I think it was supposed to be. Because what you have here is you have, there's going to, Snatch is going to take the snap under center. Immediately, there's going to be jet motion behind him, right? Like for like a quick little handoff. Uh, he doesn't hit that. Then the offensive line pulls and the t- the tailback sweeps out to the opposite side as if it's going to be a sweep. While there's orbit motion, right, like deep reverse motion coming from the, the wide receiver. And so you fake the pitch and then you, the, 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 uh, the wide receiver gets it, right? And so what I think happened is number one, I think that either he was supposed to fake it to the jet motion with one hand and then like give the pitch fake and then give it to the reverse or two 
it was supposed to be a situation where the reverse and pitch guy like cross areas at the same time and you don't know who's going to catch the ball at the pitch, right. right? But if you watch, Michael Bennett gets about 11 yards upfield at the snap because he's Correct. a hero and I love him. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that makes Sanchez hold the ball because the angle that Crowder had to take, like it looks like Crowder initially wants to get in front of the tailback pitch man, but he's right. got to go behind because Bennett disrupts it. So that's what I think happened. But the best thing about this is watching Sanchez just shrug his arms at the end of the play, like to the sideline. I'm like, I have no idea what the heck happened. It's so funny. It's ugly. It's so, but I agree. I think Michael Bennett throws that whole play off. So that just goes to speak about this defensive line. And outside of that, that 90 yard uh, touchdown run. And, and I, you know, you watch that again and you see that Sidney Jones came up and yeah. missed a tackle. Corey Graham got blocked up and that's how that hits with Camus getting blocked up on the sealed out from the backside. Uh, but other than that, the run defense was yep. spectacular. I honestly think, like, when I watched Sydney, and we got asked this on Twitter, at least I did, uh, and so we'll talk about it here a little bit. People were very impressed with how Sydney plays screens because Sydney's very aggressive coming into blockers. And that's the thing is, like, I watched Sydney when he's in run support and he's got a wide receiver blocking him or he's got somebody, like, even an offensive lineman coming to block him. Sydney is a jungle cat, man. Like, he is, <laughs> he comes right up into your kitchen. He gets yeah. right up underneath your chin. And he is very physical and he's very flexible too which helps and he is trying to get involved in that play and make a tackle and stick a guy and he makes a lot of like shoestring tackles where he's like getting 0.5 tackles and those like that's good when he has to run support in space he just doesn't know how to track and tackle yet but the 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 willingness to be physical is there and so i really think it's something he struggled with was with rookie year too you watch that dallas game and he struggled in space with angles and and uh, uh, a couple of places he i really think if you get a little more meat on his bones, he's so yeah. thin, man. Yeah. If you get a little more size on it, maybe it hurts a little bit less to actually hit a guy, and he's going to be more willing to track and tackle. Right now, his tracking and tackling, especially coming downhill and run support, is very poor. But the will is there. Yeah, exactly. Like He's very – he's fierce, man. You just got to – He's just like when it's Adrian Peterson, he's down like 40 pounds on AP. You know, that's like a tough ass to ask a guy to go, you know, go hit him in the midsection. AP's midsection is like twice as big as his is. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't fault him too much for that. I thought he played well okay. otherwise. And Ben, let's just get to it, man. We got to, we got we to gotta pull the band aid off. Let's make our apology to Nate Gary, who had an interception at this game. Second half, fourth quarter, first and 15, Washington 32. Everyone turn your books to 1247 in the fourth quarter. So remember last week when we were killing Nate Gary for being abysmal against the Giants and having Bradham yell and point and yeah. tell him where his coverage duties were mid-play. Very embarrassing for him. Hey, listen, Nate Gary listens to the podcast. It's the only conclusion we can come to. He said, I have to clean up this aspect of my game. Otherwise, because Ben, ben and, and Mike, Mike don't me. like it. <laughs> but he totally redeems himself on this one. Uh, he gets the interception on a play-action concept where uh, he struggled with very right. mightily last week. And granted, he is definitely beat initially, but he knows yes. <laughs> where he needs to be. He knows right. he has to pick up the deep cross from the wide receiver, Mo Harris. He continues to fight to get into position. And then he steps right in front, diving interception, make the play when it's there, Ben. Very important. That would right. set up a field goal for the Eagles, which would move the score to 25-13, mm-hmm. putting it further out of reach. Hats off to Nate Gary for a play where you got beat, but you weren't beat forever. Right. So there's a couple things to note here. One, so Sewell is kind of, a cover three look. They're blitzing the corner. Uh, they're blitzing the corner on the opposite side, Sidney Jones. So it's three deep, three under look with a five-man rush. And Sewell's originally lined up over that wide receiver. is in a tight split. Uh, and so Sewell's got deep third responsibilities. 
and then it's play action, and that guy hits a crosser right away. And I'm relatively certain that Sewell alerts Gary. Sewell's basically probably screaming, like, you know, cross, 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 crosser, because Gary's coming upfield into yeah. the run action. He doesn't take as hard of a step as you usually would take. He's actually pretty decent here. Who are you talking about, Gary? Usually he gets baited real hard. No, and that's the thing. He takes a step, but he also takes a leverage step in the sense that he is angled so that he's going to be able to get on his horse and run, right? Yeah. Which is good. And so, no, he comes down to it. He gets, I'm assuming, from what I'm watching Sewell's body language, I'm pretty sure Sewell alerts him, gives him a cross, cross, cross. And so Gary knows he's immediately got to just get flowing. He's obviously the middle hole defender, 3D, 3 under. He's the middle linebacker. But because Bra- the play action is hard flow into the into the boundary, into the sideline, Bradham, the player, you know, has to go handle the flat. So now Gary's got to go overlap coverage and get Bradham's back for that intermediate crosser. Right. And yeah, you watch Gary... The thing that was supposed to be a positive about a safety playing linebacker is he was supposed to be Athletic. fast in coverage. Yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to be a mover. And Gary won the weightlifting belt for the Eagles offseason, right? Like, he is much bigger than he was. Gary's probably playing north of 230, which means he's Jordan Hicks' size. The thing is, he's not quick. Uh, so he it takes him a second to explode. That's why he's a little bit beat, because he doesn't really explode into the route. But he's, yeah, you're right. He, he stays tenacious with it, makes the catch. Then, Mike, he gets tackled by Mark Sanchez. Which I think Which, takes away all of the goodness of the entire play. I think everything was bad because you got tackled. Not even like tackled like he like dragged you down out of bounds. Like Sanchez died for your ankles and got you. That's embarrassing, man. So my hat was off to Nate Gary. I am uh, officially putting, putting my hat, hat back, back on. on. Putting it back on. Do it, Ben. Ben's looking for a hat right now. <laughs> well, I took. Oh, there it is. I found it. Okay. The hat, hat is, is back on. on. Earn it, Nate. Get that hat off of Ben. You gotta earn it, though. Mate, I'm time. gonna wear this hat everywhere, sleeping and in the shower, until you make me take my hat off to you. Uh, last player I want to talk about, at yeah, least personally on the defense, uh, that's uh, Sewell, as it were, to the point. Listen, I need Sewell and Camus to both make a good play at the same time, so that half the stadium can yell Sewell and the other half can yell Moo for Camus and Spags. Anyway, <laughs> to the point of. The Eagles defense is kind of stuck in this spot where it's got to play, get deep and rally, get deep and rally, get deep and rally. Sewell is the best tackling corner for the Eagles. Are we saying available? Because Mills is a pretty good downfield tackler, though he does leak a little bit in the run game. He gives up yards there, but he comes down pretty good. Right. Would you say he's better than Jalen Mills tackling? Because Sewell had a great game downhill tackling. Yes, I think... That Sewell is better. And I think that Sewell is better because Sewell is just longer and bigger. And that's very yeah. helpful. Yeah. You know, a lot of times corners aren't like physically outmatching these guys. And so, you you know, any length and size you can get is good. You're trying to get in their way. He's uh, the reverse of Sidney Jones. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, I, so, I would say Sewell's probably better. Uh, then I haven't watched Jalen play in about a month. So, you know, I'll reserve that right. But anyway. Uh, no, I, I didn't say he's like a good downhill tackler. He had a good game. I think generally he's probably a little inconsistent as are most Eagles corners, which, you know, it's why they don't want to be playing this drop back and rally, drop back and rally defense. But you saw that Sewell was very successful in that regard. And if that's going to be the way the defense is deployed, then he's going to be helpful for that reason. He got beat a few times. We said once in off coverage, there was the slant play, Mike, where you, uh, it was the two minute drill. It was like one thirty yeah. left in the second. Doxon beats him on a slant. Sewell just doesn't activate his hands. He's in yeah. the press. Uh, he's in press alignment, and he doesn't throw an offhand punch at the release. And you simply, I don't, I don't know if he was taught to be more patient there and to wait, but I, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, so he gets burned off the release. Generally, an up and down day in coverage and in stickiness for Rasul, which makes a lot of sense. His best reps were when he was playing a deep third, cover three. He wasn't responsible for every break. 
That's where he's going to be the best right now. Um, but his ability to come rally and tackle is objectively valuable right now for an Eagles secondary that's kind of struggling for bright spots overall. That is a good thing, and it's going to help keep him on the field without a doubt. Ben, I think that covers it for this for this one. I think we made all the points that we wanted to make. We didn't give out an official Kiston Solak show game ball, which is disappointing. If you were to give out a game Jake ball. Jake Elliott. Let's give it to Jake Elliott? Two 40-plus yard field goals. I mean, for him, that's huge. Without without a yeah, mess, and, he and, made it. And for me, because I like him. Um, <laughs> I will say, here's your, here's your special team's note of the week. Ooh. Insert theme music. Third face of the game. The Eagles... Their their like signal for their punt block unit is a, just like a double arm flex. So there's a great uh, there's a great clip where I think it's it's like it's like it's like a third and fifteen, and the Eagles like make a tackle right, and the special teams unit comes off the field, and they all look to Dave Fipp, and Fipp calls something out, and like like th- like Nate Gary, Leroy Reynolds, DJ Alexander, Devontae Bosbeck all at once just like throw up double flex, and it looks super like super ba. I love it. Oh, um, nice. Anyway, that's your that's your special teams note of the week. Game ball, Brandon Graham. There it is. Way to fill out the box score. Get yourself some pressures. Get a sack on an inside stunt. Listen, listen. When run. it's he when you're good. sitting at the contract and when you're sitting at the contract negotiation table, those numbers gonna help. Telling you, big time, Ben. So that's gonna do it for us today here on the All Twenty Two recap of the Eagles' twenty-eight to thirteen win over the Washington Football Redskins. I don't know why I said football in there. That's reserved for the Giants. But we're gonna keep moving past that. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Let them know. What is uh, up next for the be the wow? Just talk, Ben. Just talk. That was yeah. I went. Okay. Yeah. Are you gonna listen or no? I think after that I might tune out because I have obviously checked out from this podcast because that was abysmal, and I'm surprised I'm talking to the point where it's gonna make where it won't make sense if I take it out from where we are right now in the conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm sure most of you are gone by now, but thank you for listening, as always, to the Kiss and Soul Axe show here on Bleeding Green Nation Radio. We do appreciate you stopping by. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T tomorrow. Mike, I would like to talk about the Eagles offense against the Dallas defense, because that's going to be the big matchup to watch on the Sunday night game. So you want to flip it so up. I feel like that's what, that's, that's what we start you with. You want to deflip it. Eagles offense, Dallas defense. You want to deflip it on me. Okay. I like it. You make that executive decision, baby. We should start asking people to rate the podcast before we get to this stage of the podcast. Because <laughs> I feel like if I were listening, I'd be like, oh, that was great analysis. Five. And then we'd be in the wrap up like, all right, these guys suck too. Like, this is the worst. So unless you're going to give us a five, <laughs> don't go rate, review, and subscribe. All right? Don't even get close to the button. Give us another chance. Uh, no, we do appreciate those range reviews and subscriptions. Very cool. A lot of interaction off the last episode. A lot of people adding us, you know, uh, good questions, good comments, good things they want us to talk about. We love that. So always hit us up on Twitter. The ads were previously in the wrap-up. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.